0: Hello everyone, my name is Ed D'Agostino and this is Global Macro Update, the weekly interview series from Malden Economics. Each week I speak with the best and brightest minds in economics, geopolitics, and market research, all with the aim of making us better investors. Investors tend to be specialists. Venture capitalists invest in moonshots, real estate investors like real estate, stockbrokers like stocks, but specialists can miss the forest for the trees. If you follow only your area of expertise, you might miss the makings of a crisis playing out in another corner of the markets. That happened to a lot of investors back in 2007. They didn't see the trouble brewing with real estate until it was too late for them. There's no one better at bringing all the narratives of global markets together and assessing the risks that they pose than my next guest. I've had the pleasure of working side-by-side with John Malden for over a decade now, and he continues to inspire investors around the globe with his insights. Today, we'll take a look at some of the potential crises brewing across the globe and how investors can prepare now before things get worse. Thank you for joining me for this week's Global Macro Update with John Malden. John Malden, always good to see you. Today on one of our chats, you were telling me about how there's not just one or not just a few things that really have you concerned globally. There's many, many things, many potential crises out there, and they're all interconnected. And I felt like that was something that we have to share with our readers and our viewers. So here we are. Thanks here, for joining
1: me. Here we are. I mean, I've been talking for quite some time now, what I call the Great Reset. And, and when I first started thinking at it, because I'm looking at the numbers and the U.S. debt numbers, I mean, I've done several letters on it. I mean, we're looking at $50 trillion by 2030, 2031. Especially if rates are in the 4% range, we we just can't do that. Uh, so something... We'll have to give. So I, that's like the big kahuna. And, right. and sovereign problems, debt problems in uh, uh, Europe, Japan starting to, to look like they're having some issues, China for sure, England, uh, Canada, it's that sovereign crisis of uh, and a lot of people talk about it. I mean, it's just the tsunami of sovereign debt is going to hit here in another three, four, five years, six years. But as you get to thinking about it, let's look at what happened to COVID. We made, we had some bad policy decisions and now we've got inflation. That's not what we were looking at 2019. That's not what we were looking at even in 2020. uh, The... The Fed's behind the curve, uh, as 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 my letter this weekend, this little the letter that people have just read. I'm talking about Powell's not didn't get a, a, a jobs number that he wanted. He didn't get a JOLTS report that he wanted. I mean, th- there's nothing in there that would make me go, oh my God, he's going to pause and pivot, or pivot and pause, or do whatever. Um, no, it was a, it was a very good. Um, jobs report. It's been trending down. It's been trending down for a year, but it's still, it still was two hundred sixty-one thousand. Okay, so I mean that's not that's not uh, uh, a dog meat. I mean that's that's good. That, those are good numbers. Uh, you need about one hundred twenty-five thousand, was the old rule jobs, just to maintain zero um, under this. New regime. I don't know what it is anymore. I between uh, the government and the Fed, and they they they've distorted the past numbers. So, in the hundreds of times that I've said, past performance is not indicative of future results. You can't model the future of you know from based on past. It's even more so today because they've changed the numbers and they changed the, the base that we're pulling our, our model from. So, I mean, you can't assume we're gonna get another COVID, for instance. I mean, you have this huge number. It's gonna distort anything. Uh, if you take it out, then it distorts it because you get the bounce back. But but
0: the numbers going forward are gonna be harder to predict. How much does do vacancies factor into this? Because our, our mutual friend, Sam Ryan's over at Corbyn oh, yeah. Research, you know, he's been writing about how it's going to be a while before Fed actions show up in unemployment, because prior to that, there's so many vacancies that have to be wiped out, essentially.
1: He calls this his, his VU number, vacancies versus yeah. unemployment. And uh, it, he makes a strong point that we have high vacancies now. I mean, it's higher, it's off of what it was, but it's higher than it's been ever still. I mean, if you if you don't take just the last little bit, we're going to have, I mean, there, jobs will start disappearing. That's what happens in s- slowdowns and recessions, but it's going to take longer than people would think for the jobs number to come back up. I mean, we had... Under the household um, report, 300,000 lost jobs. 350 or whatever it was. And the unemployment rate only went up two tenths of a percent. It's, it's still at 3.7. It's still a very strong unemployment number. Uh, the problem we've got, one of the problems is that there's lots of things hitting us. Uh, I mean, Energy is hitting us, and energy is hitting us again because of policy decisions. Uh, we're going to have housing problems because of po- monetary policy decisions, uh, but we've made them unaffordable. We've we've taught a generation that you can get cheap money at a, in a cheap house, uh, and those have gone away. And if you got your house at a three percent loan, you you don't really feel like moving. Um, you know, I, I, I had, I, I wept a tear or two when I moved to Puerto Rico, uh, cause I had to give up a two and three, eight cents mortgage to get a 6% mortgage here. Sure. Um, I did that number.
0: To your point, there's an entire generation that doesn't realize that capital has a cost.
1: Well, I mean, I remember paying something like 14, 15% on my first mortgage that I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was, and We could afford it and we did it uh, because it drove the prices of the houses to affordable rates. Uh, Inflation was 17, 18. I mean, I think we bought bought a house at 82. Uh, All of these things, the energy crisis, the housing, the, we just have too much debt. We don't have enough savings. Uh, I mean, all of this stuff is going to come to a head. Each one of them, other than than the sovereign debt thing, each of the other things I've mentioned, could be solved in and of itself. It's not enough to bring the country to its knees. But what's gonna happen, I think, is that when we get the sovereign debt situation, it's gonna fall over into everything else. Now, by the middle to the end of the uh, decade, We're going to have energy problems because we're not putting the capital expenditures into energy. We're not putting capital expenditures into mining. We think that somehow or another we're magically going to get all the minerals that we need to make all these batteries and solar panels. Well, just to get to the 2035 goals, we have to mine five times more lithium per year than we're doing now. That's something like 40 to 50 more lithium mines in the world, assuming that we can find the deposits that would be an average lithium mine. And, you know, we've already found the really big stuff. Maybe there's a big one out somewhere that we don't know about. But we have a lot of metals, cobalt, nickel. uh, We found the easy things, uh, the easy sources. And now we're going to have to. Uh, start looking for more difficult places. We're going to need another
0: 50 to 60 copper mines. These are big things. These take eight to 10 years. And John, are you are you saying that the policy policy moves that need to be in place aren't in order to facilitate this well, move? Maybe, you, what you've got
1: to, yeah, what you've got is an ESG movement that says we don't want you uh, investing in oil or gas and we want to be environmentally friendly. Well, that's not mining. Nobody wants a, a strip mine in their backyard. Uh, the, the, we all want it done. I mean, it's like, I, I just find the hypocrisy that we don't want to take Canadian oil uh, through the um, uh, pipe that we canceled, but we'll take Venezuelan oil. So we're going to give money to a dictator who's going to use it to oppress his people Uh, rather than giving it to Canada, which is they've got the exact type of heavy oil that we need for our refineries. Right.
0: Yeah, it does feel like there's a massive policy disconnect. Um, Michael McKee on Bloomberg reported when he was looking at the uh, last month's jobs report that oil and gas – There's no capex happening in oil and gas. I mean, relative to history, and in fact, there was only 400 jobs added in that sector at a time when you've got the president uh, basically screaming from his pulpit that uh, energy prices need to come down. Yet we're not putting in place incentives to do that.
1: Ninety percent of the offshore leases are, uh, of the potential offshore leases are right now shut down, you can't get them from federal, let alone the state regulations. The They say they'll let you lease on federal lands, but it's really difficult. I mean, it's not a real shock of announcement. I'm going into the, I'm helping launch a launch an oil fund, and we'll be drilling, but there's some states we don't want to drill in. I mean, um, there's some states that we do, there's there's lots of oil, there's lots of fields out there. Uh, you've just got to put the money together to do it. Right now, 60% of the uh, drilling that's going on is private money. It's not the pioneers or the Chevron. It's not the big guys. It's not even the medium-sized public guys. It's private money. They're looking at the numbers and they're going, this makes a lot of sense. Um, it, if we're not gonna drill enough, the price of oil and gas is going to go up. Now, during a recession, you could see uh, demand suppression. Price could go down. Um, in fact, I've talked to my partners. We would like to see the price of oil go down in the first quarter because we're gonna be buying some fields. And you know, to buy a 10,000 acre or 20,000 acre uh, oil or gas field takes a lot of money. Well, the price of that field will go down if the price of oil goes down. Uh, sure. and, uh, we'd like to buy cheap, just like everybody else does, and then drill and make it become more valuable. I don't know if we're going to get that uh, uh, pleasure.
0: Um, so. So so it's essentially, John, what you're what you're saying and you, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that your views are represented fairly here because you've also said uh, you don't you don't want to see the air that you breathe. Oh. right? And I, I feel the same way. We we we, we both uh, have have uh, strong conviction about U.S. innovation and ingenuity. So I do think that there's an opportunity to decarbonize to some extent in this country, well, I mean, it's, but we're not making the moves to do it, and 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 we're also not making the moves to to to, to have a transition. Um, we're not doing anything, it seems like.
1: We're, we're, we're engaging in magical thinking. We think that somehow or another we're going to be able to build enough solar and wind to replace all of this uh, and batteries to replace all of this. Well, you know, we don't have enough minerals to do it. Uh, we don't have the production facilities to do it. And temporary, um, I mean, the wind can go out, the sun doesn't shine. I mean, uh, you have solar here in Puerto Rico, you think we get a lot of, and we get a lot of sun, but when you get a heavy, thick cloud cover, you're not getting nearly as much power.
0: Sure, um, you need base load just, power.
1: That's just the, the way it is. If you're really serious about taking carbon out of the system, then you're going to say, let's build uh, fourth generation mini nukes. Um, I mean, that just it gives you enormous amounts of power. It's remarkably safe. I mean, the. I'm just going to make a wild guess here, but the U.S. government runs 100 mini-nukes. Uh, they're called submarines. <laughs> they're called submarines and carriers and ships. Yeah. Uh, um, we could string, you know, a few hundred um, uh, mini-nukes around this country. And we'd be carbon free in, you know, five, seven years. If you, the technology today allows you to actually uh, produce them in one side, ship them, and then put them together so that you can get scale to, um, you know, just basically pump them out and, and, and assemble them there it's, uh, at, at whatever your site is. I mean, it can happen a lot faster than people think. But you've got to have the will to do it. You've got to have leadership that says, yes, we're going to put, you know, uh, many nuclear facilities in. And, and these facilities don't have to be, you know, it's not going to be taking a thousand acres. It's not we don't have to have uh, huge amounts of uh, uh,
0: on-site water and all of that stuff. they completely different. John, I want to make sure we cover some of those other potential areas mm-hmm. of concern that you mentioned, uh, one of them being. Inflation. Uh, Paul Singer from Elliott Investments was recently out saying that he believes that the globe, the entire globe, is at risk of a hyperinflation crisis. What are your What are your thoughts on inflation? You, you could argue that indebted governments are, to some extent, happy to see inflation.
1: I don't know that I. I well, I know that I wouldn't uh, argue for hyperinflation. I, I don't think it will get to that. Uh, not in the U.S., not in Europe, and let me qualify that: probably not in Europe, not in the U.S. Uh, Europe, Europe's—they're—they're they're acting funny. They're doing funny things with their central bank. That being said, uh, both of them know what to do if you get into too much of an inflationary mode. Uh, I keep arguing. I'm one of the. Few people that are now still arguing that Powell has to drive a stake in the heart of inflation that he can't back off um, um, and, and pause or start cutting it. We, inflation is by far the biggest vampire in the room. It sucks out current earnings. It cuts out spending. It cuts out retirement. I mean, it, it's a, it just sucks it all out. You 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 got to you got to slay that vampire. Uh, <clears throat> it, if we go the path we're going, we're gonna have a recession, yes. I think we'll see 5% uh, Fed funds rate, uh, probably 5% unemployment. But by the time we get there, we're, we're now in the second quarter. The OER is gonna start turning over, the owner's equivalent rent. It's all, in terms of the actual real-time data, it's already turned over. But it takes a year for it to filter in. Well, now we're going to start seeing negative uh, rent, if you will, <laughs> go into the OER number, and that's going to back it off a lot. I mean, probably two to three points over the next uh, six to nine months. The supply chain-driven uh, problems are going to be um, uh, uh, resolved because we're fixing the supply chain in, in a lot of places. Uh, it's we've gone from like. Fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a container to two thousand dollars a container to ship from the, the what little we're getting from China now. Is it, prices are going to come down and that inflation will roll run roll over, but you've got to be you've got to be persistent. I mean, you just you you've got to do what Volcker did, which is drive a stake in that heart, and then we'll get back to disinflation. We'll get back to stuff that we recognize. Um, I don't know. I hope that we never get below two and a half Fed, uh, uh, percent Fed funds ever again in my life. Um,
0: that would be really good. So in your view, John, do you feel like e- even if you feel that the Fed was late to take action, are they now doing what they need to do?
1: Late, but yes. Okay. I mean, it, it's... There's equal opportunity fingers pointing at each other. I I think Congress is responsible for the bulk of the inflation with that last $2 trillion bill in um, uh, 2021. That was what pushed us over. And I mean, Larry Summers came out and said, this is going to push us over. Um, I I did. Other people did. It, It was just, it was a bridge too far, and the Democrats felt like they had to have it, so they did, and you know, it was a straight partisan vote. But that along with the, if the Fed had been leaning in already by that point, I mean, they should have been raising rates at the end of 20, certainly early 2021, they could have slowly, they could have taken $5 billion a month off of QE. Okay, not a lot, okay. But just, okay, we're just gonna take it, we're gonna back it off, uh, we're not even talking QT. We're talking Q, backing it off, um, raising rates. We wouldn't be anywhere near where we are today. It was, so it was a major policy era. To some degree, I'd like to think it's not true, but you have to wonder if Powell was just waiting for Biden to reappoint him so that he could start raising rates. We'll never know. Right, and that's not going to come out in his bio.
0: <laughs> so I wouldn't think so. So let's let's flip over to geopolitics for a moment, okay. uh, and you can't talk about geopolitics and global risk without talking about China. You made a great, fascinating point to me earlier that I hope to get out of you again on camera uh, about China looking a lot like Japan did back in the eighties. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, for those of us who lived through the 70s and 80s China, Japan was this juggernaut they were buying everything you know the Chrysler building uh, Pebble Beach you know just one thing after another global all over the world and uh, Japan also had a massive massive real estate bubble and when it burst their stock market went down 40 50 percent or uh, 60 70 percent Still, you know, hasn't caught back up the uh, I mean, Japan didn't go away. It wasn't the end of their world, but they it took them a while to sort things out. China has an enormous amount of real estate debt that's basically backed by the government in theory, it's not, but they the government just can't they, that debt is nearly all owned by individuals who've bought investment products um, that you know are leveraged up and they pay, and, and uh, people are looking for that return They bought too much real estate. there's not enough income. They're in the middle of a COVID shutdown, so people can't make the money to pay for their houses, uh, their their second apartments that they that they've got. Um, I mean, I don't know when they're going to let go of this COVID crisis thing they've got. That being said, Xi Jinping went too far. He, it was a big fight between the Beijing and the Shanghai faction. The Shanghai faction wanted more business, wanted to be more out in the world, wanted to. To, to be part of the globalization movement. The, the Beijing uh, group wants more top-down party control, wants more assimilation, if you will. Um, though that brings up the concept of the Borg. <laughs> but, uh, um, the Borg. Um, the, the, I, I, it would not surprise me that China begins to have its own financial crisis within the next year or two. And that's not good for the world. They have been a monster part of the growth for the last 20 years. They've certainly been a monster part of the commodity uh, complex. I mean, something like 50% of the cement in the world (laughs) went to China, the same amount of copper. All of that's gonna back off a little bit because they're not gonna be building as many apartments as many Uh, homes and and that type of thing. They'll still be building because they've got an entire uh, western half of their country that's got to be brought up to scale. But it's not going to be anything like it has been.
0: You feel like there's a real estate, potential real estate debt crisis in Japan, or in China, rather. And we had our own version of that back in 08. And- Ironically, it was China and China's demand and China stepping on the, the economic gas pedal that pulled the globe out of a major recession. Mm-hmm. Now you're well, saying that the reverse around. could be happening, but, but who who is China this time?
1: It's not India. Uh, I mean, there, is, there isn't a China. I mean, the United States isn't going to be the United States in the sense of being able to recover the way we have in the past, we'll you know we're going to have a recession. We'll recover, we always do, but we're not going to see four or five percent growth. We'll be lucky to see two percent, and that's not enough to pull even if as big as we are. That two or three percent is not enough to pull the globe along with us. It, I mean, it's just it, it's going to. It, that's what I'm saying. This this whole great reset. It's it's a global thing. It's it's a lot of factors getting going to get tossed into the bucket. I mean, the old uh, uh, you find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. Well, you you, right. you also find out who's connected. Right. Okay. I mean. You, the, the 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 connection. But what happens? We found out that subprime was connected to a lot of things uh, that we just didn't think so. I mean, Bernanke. I think when he said subprime is contained, he was looking at historical situations. and yeah, it was out of whack, but it wasn't going to bring down. Um, when he was saying that, it didn't. I mean, my my most pessimistic number when I was writing six months earlier than when he made that statement was, I thought we'd lose 400 billion. And people were telling me, you know, I'm just, I'm such a pessimist,
0: I'm a bear. Turns out we lost trillions. Right. <laughs> I was the optimist. Last thing that I wanna to touch base with you on, John, uh, let me make sure I get this right. Axios recently reported a poll by the Bennettson Strategy Group, which is a, a well-regarded uh, uh, polling group, they found that forty-four percent of U.S. voters think the federal government is controlled by a secret cabal. So John Malden, my question for you is are you a part of this secret cabal that runs the government?
1: I can't I can't confirm or deny that. I you know <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I I remember Oh God! This was in the aughts, and there were people writing in letters, and they were serious about this. That Art Cashin and I and a few other people were part of the uh, plunge protection team, <laughs> and you know, and and I was writing, "There is no plunge protection team," which of course meant that I was on it because I'm saying it didn't exist, right? But, but there is no plunge protection team. There is no secret cabal. We're completely incompetent on our own without any help from some cabal.
0: They're not organized enough to have a secret cabal. I think that's the takeaway. (laughs) That that, (laughs) that would be the correct takeaway, sir. Uh, John, as always, thank you, my friend. Thank you very, very much for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's Global Macro Update. I'm Ed D'Agostino from Malden Economics. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform.